Thank you, Rebecca. We appreciate that. The pop you heard in the midst of her song, while we were all blessed, was not God responding. It was the organ. 1991, that organ was built, and from what I've heard, it has not been fully refurbished or tuned up since then. So if anyone has $100,000, I just want to write a check for it right now. Feel free. But we're grateful, Rebecca and Stephen. Thank you. I'm a proud Southern alumnus. I am. I hope you are too, but appreciate your, your gift. Let's pray again. Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this house today. Pray for you to speak to and through us. In your name we pray. Amen. If I'm moving a little funny now, it's not only my back, but it's a first. I'm wearing a girdle. Not that you maybe wanted to know that, but I'm telling you anyways. I figure if I have to feel uncomfortable, you get to feel uncomfortable with me sharing that with you. Let's start here. The Spencerville Adventist Church exists to make Jesus better known and better loved, period. That's why we exist, to make Jesus better known and better loved, internally, externally, wherever, to make Jesus better known and better loved. I would contend that that, that is truly the overall purpose, I hope so, of the of the Adventist church as a whole, the Seventh-day Adventist church as a whole, to make Jesus Christ better known and better loved throughout this world. For all intents and purposes, that is our purpose. We fulfill this mission through kindness to our neighbors. We fulfill this mission by, by taking care of the widows and the orphans and the homeless. We, we fulfill this mission by, by spreading our literature because believe it or not, knowledge does impact what you believe and what you feel. We fulfill this mission by doing personal and public evangelism. We do not fulfill this mission by arguing internally for five years about who is and who is not qualified to have certain roles and titles within the church. Which is why for the last four plus years, while I've written about women's ordination in my blog and, and some different articles, I have not ever actually brought the conversation to a pulpit, not wanting to go there. But when the arguments against women's ordination begin to devalue my Savior, Jesus Christ, then I must say something. When the arguments against women's ordination begin to, to devalue the role of Jesus Christ within our church, this church that I love, this, this church that is his church, I believe I need to say something. Because anything that devalues Jesus within the church, anything that devalues the role of Jesus within the church makes it more difficult and less likely for us to truly make Jesus better known and better loved. So today we are going headfirst into headship because I'm fearful of many within our church who are going headlong into headship without truly thinking about the consequences 
of where this teaching is leading. Male headship is one of the main platforms being discussed as we move towards the quinquennial gathering of the World Church of Seventh-day Adventists. Women's ordination is actually the, the topic on the, on the docket, but the opposition to women's ordination, the, one of the primary pieces of op- being used as opposition against women's ordination is the argument about male headship and for male headship. Even within our own church, it is a discussion. And when I say our own church, I mean here, this local body. I recently had a, an email that was circulated around to me that, that was being passed around the church promoting the idea of male headship. In 1995, the last time that the, the church took up and voted this issue as a world church, they, they, they voted no against women's ordination primarily on the argument that, that if we're going to move forward in such a policy, that, that it should be done as an entire church, as a collective body. Now, while I may not agree with that argument, I can stomach that argument. I can stomach that argument. But unfortunately, the argument this time around has not only degraded women, but it has introduced the dangerous and heretical teaching of male headship into the debate within the church. Those in support of male headship use two key verses to make this argument. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, if you want to open your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Paul here writing to the church in Corinth says this, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. There are numerous points that we could make about make on this text. We could talk about the context that Paul was writing and we should never just take that one verse and, and, and ignore the rest of the context of the, of the text. We could talk about the context in which Paul was, was writing that, that he was not really addressing, he was not really addressing men being leaders of the church. Rather, he was addressing specific challenges within their local context, within their local community. Directly, the principles that apply to us are not about headship or authority, but they were about worship and, and the things that should be introduced into worship. We could talk about what is the primary point of Paul's discussion in that local context, which it seems to be a certain culturally appropriate element in worship, covering one's head or not covering one's head. It's interesting that we're building a whole theology, an idea of male headship around 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 11 and verse 3, and yet no one is asking women to cover their heads in church. I mean, that's what all of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is basically about. Numerous analysis of this text would show it is not actually about supporting the idea that only men should be pastors and ordained in the church. But one immediate point I want to make is this. The word which we translate head is the word kephale, which can also mean the source of. This is important for, for our understanding. We, we translate it from the standpoint of the head, meaning authority or ruling over. 
But, but is this what the text is actually saying? If you go and you look real quick at verses eight, uh, in chapter 11, verses eight, 11 and 12, I was just in between services as I was uh, reading and before I was getting my physical therapy appointment, I, uh, I, I was looking at this text and in, in 1 Corinthians chapter eight, we can see that it is not about authority, but it's about origin. Verse eight says this, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. There's a, a text of origin. Verse 11, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man, hear this, independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. The, the context in which Paul is addressing here, uh, a woman is from a man, and, and, and Christ is from God, he's talking about Origin And what do we know that the Bible is saying? What do we know from Scripture? John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word being spoken of here? What's his name? You don't know the name? In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? Thank you, man. Thank you, Stephen. Way to go. Little Stephen Finney. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The word being spoken of here is Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us all things come into being through him. He is the source of man. Jesus is the source of mankind. The Bible then says, Paul then says, that, that Christ is the source of man, and that man is the head or the source of a woman. What again does scripture tell us? Genesis chapter two, verses 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The source of a woman was, in this case, a man. Even if this text did speak of a man being the head of women, listen also to the singularity of the text that you find in the Greek and in the New American Standard Translation, some of the other translations. It says, Christ is the head of man, and then it says, and man is the head of a woman. Not all women, a woman. It's not saying that men, thus the male pastor, then is to be the head of all women within the church, but of one woman, which would be his wife, but we'll come to that in just a minute. Finally, then, in our verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of a woman, God is the head of Christ, or the source of of Christ. John chapter 3 and verse 16, a verse we know so well. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son, his one and only son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave, he was the source of his one and only son. Jesus is not derived in the sense that you and I are derived. He's not a dry being in the sense that we are, but, but in the context of his humanity, he was placed in Mary by God. 
Headship here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3 is not speaking of male headship but within the church, but about the source of where we all come from, the kafale, the source of. The second text often used to support the idea of, of male headship in the church is Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Y'all, let me ask you a question. Where does this text say that male headship exists? In what institution does this text say that male headship exists? In what, what institution? The institution of what? Marriage. The institution of marriage. Within a marriage context. Husbands are to be the head of their wives, the head of their homes. And can I quickly say this? Men, men, that headship, even within your marriage, that headship, even within your marriage, is not derived by your maleness. It's not derived by your maleness. You are not, we are not the head of our wives simply because we are men. Verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Why should wives be subject to their husbands? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, your anatomical design does not make you head of your wife. It does not give you the right to be head of your wife. Your love and care for her as Christ loves and cares for the church gives you the right to claim headship. And that is all, not your maleness. As I tell young couples, wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. But men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And then I say to these young men, and I'll say to us older men as well, the last time I checked, men, Christ does a much better job of loving the church than the church does in submitting to Christ. Therefore, your love should supersede that of your wife's submission. Your love is the only thing that gives you the right to claim male headship in a home. But folks, some are teaching that this headship role then rolls over from the home setting to the church, and thus men are to be the head of the church as well. They say women cannot be ordained, and some are even saying women should not even be allowed to serve in any pastoral role because male headship extends from the home to the church. But can that point, but, but can that point be made within this text? No, it says... The man is the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, and why does Christ get to claim authority as the head of the church? Because he is the savior of that church. When, see, when we put a human being as the head of the church, when we place a man or a female as the head of the church, we are devaluing Christ's role because what gives Christ the authority to be head of the church is the fact that he and only he has the right to claim salvation on our behalf. That's it. And I say this point very clearly. Any time we try to label a human as head of the church, we have begun to fail at making Jesus Christ better known 
and better loved. While we're posturing for who should be defined as the head of the church, Jesus is standing by and saying, there is only one head, and that is me, Jesus Christ. Because in, any ind- because in giving any individual headship status within the church, we have gone against scripture, and thus we have diminished the value of our Savior. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. Who is the head of the church? Christ, not Chad Stewart, not Dan Jackson, not Ted Wilson, not any other man or any other woman for that sake. Jesus and Jesus alone is the head of the church and no one should speak of it differently. This is affirmed again and again and again in scripture. Ephesians chapter one and verse 22, and God placed all all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Ephesians chapter four and verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, Jesus Christ, who is the head that is Christ. Colossians chapter one and verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that everything he might have the supremacy. Colossians chapter two and verse 10, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. The only one who should ever be given the label of headship within the church context is the one and only one, Jesus Christ. That's it. There are seven verses in the New Testament that talk about headship, and not a one of them says that a man or a woman is the head of the church other than Jesus Christ. It has been postulated that the great danger of the push for women in ministry is the usurping of male authority. There seem to be a lot of men that are really worried about the usurping of male authority. Some have even stood up and said, if we even allow all these women to to be pastors, what are the men gonna do? Uh, Go plant churches and be more pastors. But in people's desire to oppose women's ordination through the argument of male headship, in their attempt to protect male authority, they are in fact usurping the authority of Jesus Christ. In fact, the endorsement of male headship Being assigned to the role of pastor makes me, as a male pastor, feel awfully uncomfortable. Because it, in my mind, the language that we are using, in my mind, whether intentionally or unintentionally, the language that we are using is tantamount to popery. I want you to hear something, a statement from the Baltimore Catechism. Why is the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, the visible head of the church? The Pope, the Bishop of Rome, is the visible head of the church because he is the successor of St. Peter, whom Christ made the chief of the apostles and the visible head of the church. Can I ask you, who should be the visible head of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Jesus Christ and only him. And any time we promote the idea that someone else should be head of the church, when we promulgate the idea of, of headship, we're using language that is tantamount to the catechism, that which we 
and all of Protestantism have been warring against for centuries. We're not talking about shepherd or leader or guide, but we're using the language of headship. There is only one, Jesus Christ. Male headship or female headship, for that matter, should never extend into the church. There is one head, and that is Jesus Christ. Language is so important, folks. So why would we use arguments and language that is equivalent to what we in Protestantism have been battling against since the days of Martin Luther? Why would we use this language? Why would those who are most staunchly opposed to, to, to papal authority also be those that are most in support of promoting the idea of male headship? It's ironic to me. It's ironic to me. We must be careful. Why would we want to encourage any methodology that would place a human layer between the church and God? I want you to listen to Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 23 as he spoke to the disciples about their role. And he was instructing them in light of the ways and the methods of the Pharisees. He said to them in Matthew chapter 23 verse 8, But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, some of your versions will say masters. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Folk, Jesus says to the apostles, including Peter, don't be called rabbi because there is only one true teacher. Don't call anyone father. Jesus is not speaking in a, in, 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 in a parental context, but in the spiritual sense. Because there's only one father. Do not even call leaders or, or masters. Some translations say masters. Because there is only one true master. And one true leader of the body of Christ. I would state today. Do not claim headship within the church. Because there is only one head and that is Jesus Christ not so says Chad so says the scriptures on headship most importantly the Bible says this and secondarily so the other authority within our church the writings of Mrs. White says Christ is the only head of the church I am fully in favor of our church voting yes to allow divisions to make their own choice in the ordination of women this summer. But if the vote is no, if the vote is no, it must not be a no vote based on male headship. Because if the vote is no based on male headship, not only have we failed in embracing the priesthood of all believers by, by not embracing all that are called by the Holy Spirit to vocational ministry, we have also failed by usurping the authority and rightful place of Jesus Christ as the only head of the church. We have failed by, by embracing Pharisaic practice. We have failed by embracing papal doctrine of placing a man or defining a man as head of the visible, the visible head of the church. We must think about our language. We must think about the reason we vote. 
and what we believe. Now there's many of you out there that probably are against women's ordination. And I don't have any qualms. I believe that there's people that are in love with Jesus on both sides of the debate. And I believe there are people that are not in love with Jesus on both sides of the debate. But I would simply say, if you're against women's ordination, find another reason than male headship. Because male headship is a dangerous teaching that is seeping within the church. Folks, language matters. And when we spend so much time saying, who's the head of the church? Who's the head of the church? Who can be the head of the church? Guess what? That should not even be a question we're asking. There is only one head, Jesus Christ. And people can say, yes, we all, we all know that, but we're talking about here on earth. Who's his visible representative? I've read that statement in some of our magazines and in some of the papers. That sounds to me just like the catechism. The visible head of the church is the Pope. Folks, why would we embrace that language? Why would we embrace that thought? I want to invite you to pull out your connection cards at this time. And there on the back of your connection card are two statements. A commitment that I want you to make today, ask you to make today. So there on the, the left-hand side of your card, top corner, my commitment today, I will pray, hear this, I will pray, but not for what I want, but for what God wills. Hey, look, if you're against women's ordination, you know, I think everybody should be firmly convicted in their own mind. If you're against women's ordination, then, then you should probably feel that that's what God wants. To not to have you be against it. I'm for women's ordination. So I believe that that's what God wants. But guess what I've found out about myself and about some of y'all as well? We can be wrong. And so let's not pray, God, I know this is what you want. I know this is what. You... There's clear things in the scriptures where we know this is what God wants. God wants to save each soul, God wants to reach each individual, God wants to reach each life. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says God wants us to vote yes this time or God wants us to vote no this time. I have not read that scripture. You show me where it's at and we'll, we'll have a, I'll, uh, I'll report you for your addition to the scriptures. Um, I will pray, but not for what I want, but for God's will with regard to women's ordination within the worldwide Seventh-day Adventist church. Let's just trust God, okay? God's in control. And then second, my commitment today, I commit to making Jesus better known and better loved by embracing him as the only true head of this church. Can you commit to that today? Folks, if we commit to that today, that means that we will no longer put forth the heretical idea of male headship. And instead we'll simply say, Jesus is the head and I will let him decide. I commit to making Jesus better known and better loved 
You stand against women's ordination? That's fine. That is your right. But as Bible-believing Seventh-day Adventists, do not stand there because you have replaced the perfect, the loving, the gracious, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the all-present, the Redeemer of the world, Jesus Christ, as the head of the church, with a fallible, sinful, struggling man, a.k.a. every single male pastor I've ever met in my life. And for that matter, every female pastor I've met as well. The church has one foundation, tis Jesus Christ our Lord. The church has one head, tis Jesus Christ our Lord. So let us not find ways to make male or female first, but let us find ways to hail the name of Jesus, hail the headship of Jesus Christ within our church and beyond. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are head of our church. Lord, I pray that you'll be the head and not the tail. Jesus, I pray that we will not usurp your authority with the language we use trying to advance the agenda of one side or another. Jesus, I pray that we'll be mindful to submit our wills to you, the head, Jesus Christ.